Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on a magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. I can confirm the sun did come up this morning in Starkville. It came up yesterday, too. It was a little bit overcast on Sunday. Uh, but it was a tough day. I mean, it really was. We're going to talk about Tennessee. We're going to talk about... I'm going to give you some very candid thoughts about uh, what I feel about the direction of our program and um, a couple other things. Uh, the first thing that I want to tell you is I, I am not the least bit interested in being part of a pity party. And so I'm, I'm going to say what I think are some constructive but very honest things about Mississippi State, about our leadership, about our coaching situation, about our team, about social media. And I'm just going to spit it, and uh, and we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, happy to be with you today. Wish you was under better circumstances. We will have the opportunity to speak with Joe Moorhead a little bit later today. We'll have that content available for you free on jeanspage.com. You can see Joe Moorhead's press conference in its entirety, as well as David Murray and I's uh, reaction video to that. And uh, I believe Robbie Falk will have a little bit of a notebook today. So we'll have plenty of coverage about what Joe had to say. We'll also have a live thread over on uh, the football forum, the football board, on jeanspage.com, the 247 Sports Mississippi State Affiliate. And so those are going to be things you can keep up with today. A couple things that I wanted to say, a couple things that are out there that, uh, uh, number one, need to be corrected. A couple of uh, media peers had tweeted out that John Cohen came to the press conference and how that was a bit of an anomaly. That, that's that's not true. Uh, John tries to be at the postgame press conference more times than not. Sometimes it's a little more difficult on the road uh, than others. 
John also, I, I won't say he comes every Monday because that's not true, but he does come periodically to hear Joe speak on Mondays. And it's not like he's there, uh, you know, to beat the boss or whatever and that sort of stuff. But uh, he came when Dan Mullen was our coach too. And so th- those are some things that are out there. But I just wanted to kind of provide a little context because some people I think maybe weren't aware of some things and, and they put some things out there and people kind of let their imagination run wild with their with bit of that. So you'll probably hear later today that John Cohen is at Joe Moorhead's press conference. And, there again, there's – there's nothing good, bad, or indifferent about that. That's just what when John has time to come, because John Cohen is a football fan uh, like you've never seen. Would probably surprise many of you. John knows his football; he really does, and uh, very, very committed to Mississippi State athletics. But, uh, but, but all that being said, it is not atypical for John to come to a postgame press conference. Probably happens more times than not. To be honest, it, you, we don't always see him because, especially at Mississippi State. We have post-game press conference. Those guys can just step in and be at the back of the room. We never see them because our backs are to them. But we've got bigger issues to fry. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, there's bigger fish in the grease than where John Cohen's standing for a post-game press conference. So let's get to that. First, let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Great friends of the show. Great friends of mine. I tell you, I love going there. It's a great experience every time. I've never had a bad experience at Bulldog Burger Company the service there is great. The food is great. The prices are great. The ambiance is great. It's the restaurant closest to campus in the Cotton District, so it's within walking distance. Really enjoy going there. It is a great restaurant-quality hamburger, and I'll tell you there are a few delicacies in life that are as good as a great restaurant-quality hamburger. I had somebody stop me yesterday on my way out from getting coffee. I had somebody say, you know what, Steve? I went to Bulldog Burger Company for the first time last week, and I had the Bryant. So there you go, Bryant. I had the Bryant. Wanted to warm up and give that thing an opportunity. So you need to go find your own favorites at Bulldog Burger Company. Now two locations to serve you in Starkville and Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Let me begin by saying this. The loss at the University of Tennessee on Saturday is inexcusable. I'm not going to sit here and offer you any defenses. I'm not going to make excuses for anybody. Mississippi State lost to a bad football team. And Mississippi State is beginning to take on the look of a bad football team. That's a reality of it. Uh, there's no, there's no point in kind of, uh, you know, mixing and matching and trying to use the, the, these great, uh, flowing Shakespearean type sonnets. Try to explain it any other way. We went up there and we got beat by a bad football team. We did a lot of the things that bad football teams do to get beat. And a bad football team beat us. And when you have two bad football teams that get together and you play on the road, chances are the home bad football team is going to win, and that's what happened. The bottom line is we still should have won the football game. Went up there and we didn't play well. We basically played football for about a half. And we still should have won the football game because Tennessee is a bad football team. And on Saturday, Tennessee was a better football team than Mississippi State. That is something that has taken me a couple days to kind of come to grips with. I can I can share with you that long drive back from Knoxville was not a lot of fun. The only good part about my drive home was uh, listening to Dokken and and uh, some great tunes and and remembering some songs from yesteryear. That's the only good part about the drive home. That that and the weather. It was miserable. We go over there right out of the gate. We were a little bit better prepared, I guess, than we were against Auburn, but we also didn't play a team really as good as Auburn, so they couldn't exploit our mistakes. Let's go ahead and go through it here. 
We uh, Tennessee wins a toss. They defer. We get the ball the very first play of the game. Uh, Colin Hill rushes for a loss of one yard. Now, before we get to that, because I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we began the game with another special teams failure. Brian Cole's returning the kick. We mishandle it. We come out, and uh, they tackle us at the nine-yard line. You know, I don't know if you know this, but you can fair catch that ball and get the ball to 25. So the very first time we have an opportunity to touch the football, we put ourselves in a bad situation. We're already deep inside our own 10-yard line. And then we, we're going to establish the running game, and I think everybody and their brother probably knew that was going to happen. And we rush for one loss of one yard. Then we were complete to Osiris, which is which probably should have been the first down call. And then Tommy Stevens is sacked for two yards. And then we punt. And then we get a bad punt from Tucker Day. 34-yard punt. And in, so Tennessee sets up at our 46-yard line. So Tennessee wins right out of the gate. They win the toss, and then they win the battle of field position immediately. They put a drive together. Mar comes out, completes a pass, very first pass, 28 yards, already in the red zone after one play. They run for five, run for one. And then on third and four, and I got a pretty good picture of this if I do say so myself, I think everybody in the stadium expected them to take a shot at the end zone on third and four and probably throw the ball to Juwan Jennings. And not only did I I see that, so did Cam Dancer. Cam makes a great play, high points of football, and then at that point, I said, you know what? We're going to be okay. Okay, we're going to be okay. We survived that early storm because one thing we talked about on the show last week is, you know, chances are whoever won that first quarter would probably win the ball game because Tennessee and and, uh, and Chaney's done a great job kind of scripting some things out early in ball games. Tennessee's been a pretty good first quarter team. And so we felt like, you know what, if we could su- survive that initial punch, and somehow get a lead at halftime, we got a chance because Tennessee has kind of wilted in the second half. But there we were, Cam stepping up, making an All-American type play against a quality receiver there. It's a bad throw by Mar. He just kind of threw it up for grabs, and our guy goes and gets it. And so I'm like, okay, crisis averted. Let's calm down. We'll get the ball to 25, and here we go. Get the ball to 20, and then here we go. We go out, Colin, run for three. Tommy Stevens sacked for six yards, and it was all on him. He held the football way too long. That's third and 13, and then Zuber is wide open for the first down, and Stevens throws the ball well behind him. Uh, Just not a play to be made there. If we settle down there and throw a catchable pass, it's going to be a first down out across the 30. And then we don't know what, what happens. And then after this, Tucker Day, with one of his better punts of the year, absolutely blisters the punt. 56 yards, might have outkicked his coverage a little bit, but the reality is a booming bomb. Bomb from him. As bad as that first punt was, this one was equally as awesome. Just a great, great kick by Tucker Day. Tennessee then starts their uh, – they're going to start trying to run the football, and, and you know, I really thought that our defensive uh, effort was as good as it's been all year in this ballgame. And, and, and people get emotional, and I get emotional, okay? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as emotionally invested as all of you. Um, you know, one of the differences, you know, I, I can't just turn it off and go, home, and go home. You know, I've still got a job to do. And so it's a fun job, but it's still a job. But I felt like, okay, we're going to be okay now. You know, we're going we're gonna to be okay. 
Defensively, I thought we came out and we played with a little more intensity. thought Bob Shoup had us ready to go. There's a couple of runs there. Then it's a big third and six. Then there's a pass complete to Bird. Then there's a, a short gain. Then there's no gain. And then all of a sudden, another pass complete to Palmer. They're driving now. And then they finally get loose. A couple of back-to-back runs. It's a touchdown. Seven nothing. Still felt like we're okay. Defensively, we hadn't played well. Uh against the pass, but I feel like, you know what, we will figure that out. We'll be able to get some pass rush on him. We'll be okay. State gets the ball. Next thing you know, we put a drive together. Offensively, it looked like we had kind of calmed down a little bit. That's what it felt like. Okay, if we could just get some things going, I felt like maybe that touchdown would wake us up a little bit. Stevens complete to Osiris for five. Tommy runs for four. It's a third and one play. We make a nice little play action fake. They roll it out, dump it out to Green. He gets nine yards. And we're then all of a sudden, you know, we're moving the football. Okay, we're out around midfield. Uh, we're, we throw complete to, to Osiris for 11. And, and I, Osiris might be the most improved player on the football team for the second consecutive years. We run four yards with Nick. We're going, man. It's like, you know what? Okay. We've survived their first punch. We've taken a punch. And now we're going to go back and give one of our own. Tommy Stevens rushes for 10. We're down to the Tennessee 32. It just, and it just felt like we had the mojo. First and 10 from the 32. A terrible interception. Osiris Mitchell is open. Tommy throws the ball high. It's picked off by George. Returned 24 yards. And then at that point, I felt like it was kind of time to worry again. It's like, you know what? We, we finally put a sustained drive together. We can't get out of our own way. Tennessee gets to go in again, pass incomplete. They run the ball for five, complete to Bird. It's just, uh, you know, first quarter ended, and they're up 7 nothing. And uh, we have made a couple plays on defense. We've given them the ball back on offense. We force a punt here to open the second quarter. Really good punt, 52 yards. But, it, but we're down at the eight. So it seemed like, again, we're, we're, we're beginning again in the shadow of our own goalpost. Stevens complete to Gidry for 17 yards. Incomplete to Peyton. No gain for Kylan Hill, which became kind of the story of the day. Stevens complete to Stephen Gidry again for 19 yards, and we're rolling. Kylan Hill for four. Tommy runs for nine. Zuber rushes on an end around for four. I think it's the first time we've ran that to him all year. Cowan for two. Tommy Stevens rushes for six. And you know what's a first down? It's a first down and we're driving. Cowan Hill rushes for two inside the Tennessee 30. Then we take another stupid sack. Then we're incomplete to Stephen Guidry. And and, uh, that was one of those plays where Guidry was wide open. We take maybe a half a beat longer and hit him in stride. He might even score. He was on the dead run. Still almost made a great play there. I thought Gidry played hard. I know that he has been a guy that's been often criticized this year. I thought we utilized him and, and probably missed an opportunity there. So we tried that 51-yard field goal. Jace Crispin, with the wind at his back, bounces one in off the crossbar. 51 yards, good. It's 7-3. And then you kind of feel like, okay, we had to get something out of that drive. Now we begin to kind of feel good about life. We just need to get a stop. If we can just get a stop, we've got an opportunity to – to kind of get a lead here before the half. And we know, again, as we said all week last week, if you could get a lead at the half, you got a great chance of putting this thing away in the second half. 
Tennessee comes out, gets a couple quick rushes, and then they have the big rush. Marr gets loose, and he runs for 23 yards. Then uh, Juwan Jennings gets loose. They, remember, they try to trick play there, and we snuff it out. They throw the little pass out to Juwan Jennings. He doesn't get the pass off, and then but still breaks loose, 22-yard gain. And then the, a play that kind of changed everything. Marr rushes for 13 and is upended by C.J. Morgan and uh, does a flip, lands on his head, and his wrist, and I'm sure we'll learn more today, not that it has any relevance about what moves forward from Mississippi State, but I had some people tell with me in the um, on the sidelines in the second half that he not only did he possibly have a concussion or neck injury, but he also had a, a bit of a wrist injury on his non-throwing arm. So Mar is banged up there. They stay with him. I thought that might have been a good time to call a timeout, but, uh, but all that being said, they stay with him, and then – Three plays later, Mark throws a pass. You know, wasn't a great pass, but Brian Cole makes a great play, comes underneath and picks it off. The crisis, again, is averted. The Mississippi State defense bend, but don't break. Been that way most of the game. You know, they'd found a way in between the 20s to move the football, but in the red zone, State kind of stiffened up there. Just felt like, okay, we got it. Anything here. If we go get a field goal, anything is good. Colin comes out, rushes for three. Tommy goes for 10. We're out to the 33-yard line. It feels like, okay, if we can just make something happen here. And then, in addition, there is the holding penalty where they hold Colin Hill there. First and 10, Mississippi State at the 43. Thomas Stevens runs for one-yard loss, and the next thing you know, we've got a false start. We're back at our own 37. And then Tommy Stevens throws one of the worst interceptions in Mississippi State history. I still don't understand what happened on the play. He essentially threw it right to him, uh, right there at midfield. We've got an opportunity there to go get some kind of score and possibly squeeze out a lead or at least be within one coming out, but we we give the ball to him. They didn't make a play. We gave it to him. Simple as that. And then uh, Tennessee puts the drive together here. Garantano comes in. Uh, They piece a couple things together to run the football, and they kick that 49-yard field goal. Now it's 10-3 at the half. 10-3 10-3 at the half. As bad as we played, we were within a touchdown. And this is one of those things, you know, we, we kind of look at it, I think we can be honest here. I felt like after that second drive that my, maybe we should have lifted Stevens and given Schrader a series then because he has been instant offense. And I think we saw, too, with Tennessee having to play a backup quarterback, it's been relatively ineffective this year, that it was going to be a low-scoring ball game. So a touchdown – in that first half would have been huge for State. And, I, and when, when I saw that score, I got to thinking, okay, it's 10-3 at the half. This feels an awful lot like last year at Kentucky. This feels an awful lot like last year at home against Florida. This feels an awful lot like last year at LSU. Well, we just simply don't know what to do offensively. And it's one of the things, you know, with Joe, you know, we hire him because he was considered the top offensive coordinator in the country uh, when we hired him. And this Tennessee defense is not an elite defense. You, know, you could make the case last year that uh, that was one of the better Kentucky teams, and the records kind of showed that out. But I still think State laid an egg up there. LSU, especially talented on defense last year, maybe not as much, maybe not as much this year. But that offense they have is is unreal. But against average to good to great SEC defenses. We struggle to move the football. We struggle to score. And I, I honestly believe that uh, 
Joe Moorhead's loyalty to Tommy Stevens is compelling, but it's also cost Mississippi State a couple ball games this year. It's a complicated issue. I acknowledge that. You go through spring practice last year and you begin to think, okay, we don't have the quarterback we need here on campus right now to help us put a winning football team on the field this year. You know, I, I don't know that I agree with that, but I, but that was the thought. So we go, we seek a grad transfer. We try to go get Kelly Bryant. That doesn't work out. We'll go after Tommy Stevens and we get him. Now, the Kelly Bryant resume is substantially more significant than Tommy Stevens. I think we all know this. And so Kelly Bryant was easily the top target for us and other people. And then we get Tommy Stevens because it simply seemed like a better fit. There was some other possibilities out there. There were some other grad transfer candidates, as you guys know. I mean, Sawyer Smith went from Troy to Kentucky. And there's several, you know, Nick Starkle went from A&M to Arkansas. I mean, there, there was a lot of guys out there that were available. But Tommy Stevens, because of his relationship uh, with, uh, with Joe Moorhead, seemed to be the best fit. And to be fair to Tommy Stevens, he looked good in the Louisiana Lafayette game. He looked great in the Southern Miss game, and then he got injured. He has not been the same since. His throwing mechanics look different. He looks like he's in pain. He's had some other injuries. And as sad as the situation may be, as Joe Moorhead said when referencing Keaton Thompson, we have to make the decisions that are best for Mississippi State. Made a decision at halftime to lift Tommy Stevens. I, In hindsight, it's easy to say this, but I believe that that decision was made a little bit too late. I want to remind you guys, if you or folks would like to have a little skin in the game, our friends at mybookie.ag are happy to, to work with you. They're happy to, uh, to get you set up and to let you put your money where your mouth is. Maybe you're picking winners. Maybe you're one of those kind of people that you always win your office pool or you win uh, you know, the picks with you and your friends. So maybe it's time that you collect on your wisdom. Go to mybookie.ag and use promo code BONEYARD, B-O-N-E-Y-R-D, BONEYARD, they will match your initial deposit up to 100%. You heard that right. Mybookie.ag, promo code Boneyard, B-O-N-E-Y-R-D. They will match your initial deposit up to 100%. So you're already playing with house money. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why we encourage you to give our folks at mybookie.ag an opportunity to serve you. Mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Again, mybookie.ag. So we get into the second half deal. We bring in Garrett Schrader, and we're just down a touchdown, and you begin to think, okay, this is where the kid takes the job. This is where when Garrett Schrader, we're going to see it happen right here. Joe, Joe's seen enough. And I, I think it's one of those things, too, maybe perhaps he was a little bit reluctant because you're, you're dealing with a true freshman, okay? It's like I'm not – if I'm ready to give – you know, the keys to the offense to this true freshman kid. And really, it's kind of the Ralph Coast offense all over again. But you know what? We won a lot of ball games with Chris Ralph. So Tennessee comes out. Remember, they deferred. And they come out and say, okay, we're going to go run the football. And uh, things don't work out quite the way that I think that they, they had hoped. You run for six, you lose two. And then uh, it's a third and six play they run, and that's when you had the uh, – you know, the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties that were offsetting. Then they rushed for five, they rushed for two, rushed for three, they end up having a punt on third and three. A 57-yard punt touchback. Fortunate that it wasn't worse there. 
you know, could be down inside the tent again. So then Schrader comes out. Kylan rushes for two. Kylan rushes for two. And then it's a third and six. Schrader throws a perfect pass right to Farad Green that would have easily been a first down. Drops football. Drops the football. And Tucker Day comes up with a 37-yard punt. And so Tennessee set up at their own 39-yard line, already premium field position. Defense is going to have to step up here and get the ball back for us. And they did. They they did uh, to a certain extent. Um, again, kind of a bend-but-don't-break thing. Garantano completes Jennings' loss of two. Chandler rushes for nine to Garantano complete for 41 yards. And they're rolling here. They're rolling. You stiffen again in the red zone, run for no gain, run for one yard, run for seven. They give Phil Golden. And at this point, 13 to three felt like 30. Because it just felt like offensively, we're just, we haven't been able to maintain anything. And the fact that it's a two score game, we're probably in some trouble. It's just how it felt. That's how it felt on the sidelines. I don't know how you all felt, but that's how it felt for me. And then we come right back and kind of add to our own misery. Schrader incomplete to Osiris Mitchell. I thought it was a completed pass, and then I saw the replay on there, and I thought I could see it going either way, but there's probably not enough to overturn it. It was overturned. Um, Schrader rushes for nine. Schrader rushes for two. We're rolling a little bit here, and then we instead of taking the underneath route, our freshman quarterback gets a little bit greedy and throws an interception trying to force a ball into double coverage really had no chance to complete that pass. And those are some of the freshman mistakes you kind of have to live with. But I believe you get more value out of Schrader. And these are the things you can correct. These things are correctable. Sitting there holding the ball too long, I don't know that that's correctable because I think that's either you have pocket presence or you don't. And I, to be fair, I think Garrett Schrader has better pocket presence than Tommy Stevens. I think Garrett Schrader's a guy that he'll work – read one, read two. If it's not there, I'm going to go. The internal clock goes off, and he's going to get something positive out of the play. There are times I think Tommy Stevens sits there and sits there and sits there and sits there and sits there, and and there's the sack. And, again, I'm not being negative. I'm just calling it as I see it. So they pick it off. The defense stands tall here. One of the better defensive series of the day, three plays, zero yards, uh, no rush, uh, no gain, uh, sack for five, run for five, and their 37-yard punt, and it, for the first time in a while, it felt like, okay, we, we might have a chance to go do something. And uh, one of those deals where things just didn't go our way again. We, we run the uh, the end around for Javante Payton. He gets 11 yards, and he needs to get more touches. I think that's evident. Fall start, back to sub five. Nick for one. Schrader sacked for seven. They called intentional grounding. I thought it was a bad call. I really thought it was a bad call. He's hit. As he's falling, he throws it. He did have a receiver in the area. Couldn't get it past the line of scrimmage. They call it intentional grounding. I don't believe that it was. I think there was a legitimate opportunity there or an attempt to complete a pass. Just didn't work out for us. And then Garrett runs for one, and we end up we're getting ready to punt. False start. Backs us up again. Those pre-snap penalties were a problem. It's one of those things when, on de- when it's on defense, they say you're, uh, you're being a little bit aggressive. When it's on offense, they, they say that you're an undisciplined football team. So starting the fourth quarter, again, we're asking the defense to get us in the ballgame. And I tweeted this out. I said, you know, the Mississippi State defense has come to play. And at this point, it's a 13-3 ballgame. 
we needed a shutout quarter from the defense, and they just about gave it to us to have any chance in this ball game. Because I was sitting there thinking, you know, if we can put together a couple plays, maybe we win this thing 17-13. Maybe we get a pick six somewhere. Maybe we get a scoop and score. Maybe we get a punt return, something. We start the fourth quarter. Defense, again, with a pretty good series here. Chandler for two. Complete to Jennings for 15. They're out at midfield. Incomplete. Rush for three yards. And then that we get Jennings underneath. 39-yard punt. We're back inside the 10. And this is when I thought Schrader kind of found the magic, like everybody else did. Schrader completes Osiris Mitchell for 21. Rough in the passer on top of it. And the player was ejected. Tennessee's best linebacker. Kylan Hill runs for a loss of five. And that was a recurring theme. We couldn't get the running game going. And, and ask Joe about, you know, changing the offense. Is it as simple as making a quarterback change? And he goes, well, he's more concerned about the running game. But what I would contend is, is the running game and Kylan Hill's ability to run is somewhat negated by the fact that, that teams don't expect Tommy Stevens to run football. That's, you know, he's a great athlete, but he's not 100%. And I think people know that we're not going to run him a whole lot to run the, to, to avoid the risk of further injury. And so when they know that Tommy's not going to run regularly, they are going to focus on Colin Hill. And so Schrader being in the ball game, even though it didn't really work out for us, I think Schrader and the quarterback run opened some things up for Colin. Now that said, Schrader's got to hit some passes down the field. We got to back those safeties out of the box, or we're going to see a lot of what we saw last year. Schrader incomplete. Osiris Mitchell Garrett runs for eleven. And now it's fourth and four. And it, listen, there's like ten minutes to go in the ball game here. Joe makes the only call you, that you can make, and that's to go for it. And then Trader rushes for twelve. And uh, really, when he got loose there, I thought he might even get. I thought it might even be an even bigger play. But what that play tells me is the same thing that we've suspected all year: is that Garrett Schrader's a winner. And when the game is on the line, the moment is not too big for him. I know a lot of guys, especially younger guys. In situations like that, they want somebody else to handle the football. Garrett Schrader, in many respects, a lot like Nick Fitzgerald, says, you know what, I've got, I, I've got confidence I can move the chains here. And speaking of Nick Fitzgerald, I'm a big Nick Fitzgerald fan. I don't know that he had the skill set to run this offense at its full proficiency, but there are a lot of people out there that owe Nick Fitzgerald an apology. Garrett Schrader then uh, complete to Witherspoon for 18 yards. We're inside the red zone. Kylan runs for one. Schrader complete to Dedrick Thomas. Great play there. Rolling to his right. Finds Dedrick Thomas. And there's simply some rapport there with Dedrick Thomas, who I think has kind of been a little bit underutilized throughout his career at Mississippi State. Schrader finds him. Thomas makes a great run of the end zone. It's a touchdown. At that point, I think everybody in the stadium thought Mississippi State was going to come back and win the ball game. That, that, that's how it felt. It's 13 to 10, and you could kind of sense Tennessee was drawing up a little bit. You're thinking, you know what, if we can just get the ball back here, we can still one where we hadn't played well. We can steal this ball game. And I think that's how Tennessee felt as well. And there were times this next drive, we just needed the defense to get us a stop, and we had a chance to go win the game. Defense had played bend but don't break and it only allowed 13 points through three and a half quarters. Tennessee made a drive to win the football game. We couldn't stand up. A couple times we had a chance to get off the field. Let's run through this real quick here. 
Tennessee runs for six, runs for 15, runs for seven, runs for 12, runs for two, runs for two. Next thing you know, they're at midfield. They end up having to call timeout. But that, that's just after six positive rushing plays. It's a third and six. It is a third and six play, and we're thinking, okay, this is this is it right here. If we make a play here and we can just get off the field here, we'll get the ball back. We may be backed up, but we'll have the ball. We need a field goal to tie it, a touchdown to win it. Garantano, they, they run the play, and it's you know it's basically just a little dink and dunk out there, and we nearly come up with the sack there. We're about a, a half step away from getting the sack on third and six. They float it out there. They get the first down, down to the 38. And now I'm just thinking, you know what, if we can hold them for a field goal, we give ourselves a chance. Jordan rushes for a loss of one. They're backed up behind the chain, second 11. You're thinking, okay, this is our chance. And they run those hitches, and then they get outside, and it's a 39-yard touchdown. And at that point, it was academic. It was essentially academic. Give Garrett Schrader a lot of credit for not quitting. We get the ball with 235 to go down 10. Schrader rushes for 14, sacked for two, complete to Dedrick Thomas for eight, complete to Osiris for 15, up to the Tennessee 40-yard line. Schrader rushes for 14, down the 26, incomplete to Osiris. Garrett rushes for 13 more. Schrader sacked for seven, and that, that was one. It was an absolute jailbreak, an absolute jailbreak, a complete failure from the offensive line. Schrader sacked again. Schrader rushes for seven. And here we've got a chance. We're going to try to kick a field goal and then give us a chance to possibly do an onside kick and then and throw up a Hail Mary. And we miss a 36-yard field goal. Now, uh, I, I didn't ask in a postgame again about uh, about special teams. That's been my, my – I'm going to ask today. But we continue to have special teams failures week after week after week after week after week after week. And one of the things they told me years ago in AA is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting a different result. There just appears to be no accountability when it comes to special teams. And and, and here's the thing that I'll say about the special team stuff is it would be one thing if it was one guy consistent, consistently underperforming. But it's a different failure each week. It is a different failure each and every week. You go back to the ULL game, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we trot out the backup kicker, and I forget his name, um, misses a field goal. Uh, we, have, we, you know, we didn't punt the ball exceptionally well. We turn the ball over on returns. We mishandle some punts from time to time. You know, it's just – it's one of those things you look at and whatever we are doing on special teams, however we are trying to communicate our message, it is not getting through. Because if it was getting through, we wouldn't consistently have these issues. Every single week there is a problem. The thing that I remember, too, and I don't know if it was schematic, Scott Goodman has probably been our most consistent special teams performer this year. And I don't think Cody Schechsneider has mishandled any any field goal uh, or PAT holds. I don't think so. But we're having a tough time converting when it matters most on special teams. And this, this game was not just about the special teams. And I've seen some people say, you know what, you know, the defense didn't play well enough to win. And I thought the defense did play well enough to win. They were a play away from probably winning the ball game. But when the game was on the line and State had scratched and clawed its way back into it and it's down just 13-10 when 
with momentum in the fourth quarter, the defense gave up the decisive score. So, again, when the game is on the line, you got to make plays. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, what, uh, you know, how do you, how do you feel about it? Well, I don't feel good about it. Let's just say that. I don't feel good about it. And the season is now on the brink. This team, warts and all, should be 5-1. and one. And I firmly believe, had we started Garrett Schrader against Kansas State and against Tennessee, we would be 5-1. and one. But I don't think it's as simple as the quarterback position. And I'm not being critical of Tommy Stevens. I mean, let's just – I'm just assessing the situation. As some people say, let's call a spade a spade. Garrett Schrader provides a spark to the offense and Tommy Stevens doesn't. Now, Tommy Stevens was playing exceptionally well before he got injured. I personally believe that injury is more significant than they're wanting to let on. And I think Tommy Stevens has finally won a starting position. And he is trying, probably telling everybody, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, as he tries to fight through this because he realizes that the opportunity that he's worked so hard for and even transferred to have is slipping away from him. My heart goes out to him. But my loyalty is to Mississippi State, and that's who Joe Moorhead's loyalty needs to be to, is to Mississippi State. Garrett Schrader is the obvious choice to be our starting quarterback. Now, there's going to be some things. Sometimes he's going to drive you crazy. There are times he's going to try to do too much. There are times he's going to do the helicopter play. There are times he's going to throw a ball into coverage. But I think the risk is worth it. I think the reward with Garrett Schrader far outweighs the risk. Not to mention the fact that he's going to be your starting quarterback for the next three years. Go ahead and take your lumps now. This season, is going to, no matter how it ends, is going to, to be one that we look at and feel like we missed an opportunity. And there's no way around it. And so you have to, to maximize the opportunities you have left in these final six ball games and give Garrett Schrader a running start in the next year. You also got to win at least three of these final six ball games to become bowl eligible. There are three, possibly four winnable games if Mississippi State plays up to their potential. If we go out and pull out what we did last weekend, then, then, then Abilene Christian might be the only game we win the rest of the way. Because Garrett Schrader, as ex- explosive and entertaining and electric as he is, can't do it alone. Again, I thought the defense took a step forward, but let's be honest, the Tennessee offense is not very prolific. You knock their starting quarterback out of the ball game, and they have to go back to a guy that's been, you know, relatively ineffective, and he puts together a, uh, you know, a nine play what ninety one yard drive to win the ball game. The offense you're going to see this weekend is prolific at LSU. Looking around the league real quick here, I'll give you a couple quick updates as you guys already know. You know, we, nobody expected South Carolina to beat Georgia and Athens. They did. Muschamp is, uh, you know, if you're ever, if you're they have the little thing, if you're ever on a deserted island, who name three people you pick, give me Will Muschamp, man. That guy's a survivor. He finds a way to do it. He finds a way. Backs against the wall, and he beats Kentucky, and now he beats Georgia. You know, they look like they're on their, their way to a bowl game. You know, he'll do just enough to keep his job again. It's insane. I mean, it really is. And they've had some injuries there, too. But Will Muschamp now has his signature win to South Carolina. Probably cost the SEC another playoff team. Alabama beats A&M 47-28 in College Station. Texas A&M Aggies get a chance to, to see who they want to be 
and a reminder of who they really are. They're another team that's facing six and six, seven and five this year. Paying an awful lot of money for that too. UNLV destroys Vanderbilt at home. UNLV is a bad football team. They beat up a really bad football team. Vanderbilt, there clearly is not no life in that program whatsoever. Ole Miss loses as expected on the road at Missouri. I think I picked that one 42-24. ends up being 38-27. Ole Miss can run the football some, and that's going to be a concern for Mississippi State. It's, it's, and I, let's give uh, credit where credit, credit's due. Ole Miss is playing a lot harder right now than Mississippi State is. That's the, that's the reality of that. Ole Miss is playing harder than Mississippi State. Kentucky ekes out a win, their first SEC win of the year, 24-20 over Arkansas. People say that Arkansas is improving. I, you know, I don't think Kentucky's very good. I think Arkansas is even worse. State's got to find a way to beat Arkansas on the road. And we have been miserable on the road under Joe Moorhead. Absolutely miserable. We cannot score points on the road unless we're playing Ole Miss. And then LSU... 42-28 over Florida. I'm not surprised. I'll tell you, I still don't quite understand that third and one play where Kyle Trask uh, throws the ball ends on there and throws the pick. It just, you know, a lot of that's just that's just poise, man. But this LSU offense is scary. We'll get to see it up close and personal at 2:30 this Saturday in Davis Wade Stadium. Uh, there will be a lot of LSU folks there, a lot. I want to remind you, Campus Bookmart is uh, your home for Mississippi State clothing, memorabilia, decorative items, and good service. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the whole crew there, the lovely, talented Susie. Go in there and get a, get a hug from her. It'll change your life. They're there to serve you. They'll treat you like family because you are family. Many of you bought your textbooks from Campus Bookmart and parked in that free parking lot behind their store and walked to campus when you were students. Now it's time to outfit your ham, your family, your home, your RV, your office with the latest in Mississippi State memorabilia and decorative items. Everybody in your family wants a new Mississippi State shirt. Everybody does. Still important to rep the brand, even at times like these. Either you're true maroon or you're not. So I encourage you, get a new Mississippi State shirt. Wear that thing with pride. Don't let a bad ball game diminish your interest in this great institution. By being a Loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. So go to campusbookmart.net, use promo code BSR, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, bucks, absolutely incomplete. So the one thing that everybody wants to talk about is uh, Steve is Joe Moorhead's job in jeopardy. Uh, and the answer to that question is I believe is no. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, and I'm not saying that Joe is not experiencing some very warranted criticism because listen here's the deal offensively it's just not working you know last year everybody said including myself as well you know what Nick Fitzgerald was just built to run a different offense Nick Fitzgerald is talented and is athletic and uh, as explosive as he was he simply did not have the ball placement and the passing skills or the accuracy to be a prolific passing quarterback in the Power Five level. We all accepted that. We knew who Nick was. And it was kind of like, as we've used the, the expression before, trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It just didn't fit. But I think in hindsight, there are a lot of people that owe Nick Fitzgerald an apology. It's clear Nick wasn't the problem. Nick's not the problem. And perhaps that we probably should have done a few more things that kind of catered to Nick's skill set. Keaton Thompson is not the problem. 
lot of people out there are still calling for Keaton Thompson. And, you know, I, I'd be honest with you, I don't know if Keaton wants to play. I don't know that I would. Especially you six and six. You, what am I going to go out there and risk injury for? You know, when I'm not going to be here in uh, January. You know, if I, you know, maybe if I'm Keaton Thompson, if I can make it two more games, I might not even dress after that. I don't know this, but after the way that Keaton Thompson has been treated, you know, uh, why, why, why would I run the the, the possibility of uh, of getting injured and then uh, showing up at my next school to perhaps uh, diminishing my opportunities elsewhere? You know, and, and let's be fair, okay, Keaton Thompson, not the most polished passer. You know, we if you want to say Nick Fitzgerald wasn't the right fit, Keaton Thompson, not not either, okay? Tommy Stevens, in the drills that we saw, and again, we didn't get to see a lot of team drills, but the, dream, the, the drills that we saw involved, Tommy Stevens was the better passer. I did think Keaton had improved his passing ability some, I did think that he was competing at a higher level because he wanted the opportunity to win the job. But I could not blame Keaton Thompson if he was no longer emotionally invested in Mississippi State football. It's my honest opinion. But whatever we are doing offensively, whether it be with Nick Fitzgerald, with Keaton Thompson, with Tommy Stevens, or with Garrett Schrader, has not been what we expected under Joe Moorhead. I still believe Joe is a very talented coach. I still think Joe is a uh, very innovative offensive uh, coach. I don't know that we have seen, to be fair, this offense run at its full proficiency except for about six quarters, and that was when Tommy Stevens was healthy. Garrett Schrader is still a work in progress. Nowhere near as skilled as Tommy Stevens as a passer, nor should he be. He is a true freshman. Tommy Stevens is a fifth-year senior. But something has to change. Clearly, Garrett Schrader should be the starting quarterback going forward. And I think you have to then, whatever the playbook you have to run, whatever adjustments you have to make, you have to make them. You have to find a way to run what he's comfortable running and what he can do within his own ability to, to go win three or four more ball games. I am a Mississippi State guy. I support every coach that is employed by Mississippi State until they're no longer our coach. And so I say that to say this. My loyalty is to Mississippi State, to my family, my subscribership, all of you guys, our listeners. That's who my loyalty is to. Not to not to people collecting a check. And that sounds a bit harsh. But one of the things that I, I will continue to say is all of this angst among the fan base comes from the same place. We all want Mississippi State to win. I've said it for weeks on this show. Now, just because you complain louder than others doesn't mean you love Mississippi State anymore. And just the rest of you, some of you that say, hey, we shouldn't say anything negatively about the program, doesn't mean that you love Mississippi State anymore. We can all have the same shared admiration for Mississippi State, the same undying loyalty, and just express it differently. But I do believe that what we need to do at this point is support our student-athletes. Now, some of them make it very difficult. 
Last year we had uh, Stephen Gidry on Snapchat during halftime of a ball game. I haven't seen the tweets, but I understand there was Colin Hill was either liking tweets or retweeting something at halftime. I've got a problem with all that stuff too. And then I'm not saying that to be critical of Colin Hill. I think it's a symptom of a bigger problem. And that is a lack of focus on Mississippi State football. You know, far be it for me to tell somebody else how to coach. I've never coached at this level, but I will tell you this, that I, that I feel pretty confident that I can keep my players off their telephones and off social media at halftime during an important ball game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know the dynamics behind all that. But I know that when I played football for Coach Tom Bowser, when he walked into the halftime locker room, all eyes were on him. Well, granted, we didn't have telephones back then, but I know Coach Bowser wouldn't have allowed that sort of thing. Our focus was on the Columbia High School Wildcats and what we needed to do to go out there and beat McGee or Mendenhall or Bassfield or Prentice or whoever. It wasn't about what somebody in the stands was saying. It wasn't about what was going to be going on after the ball game. And that's one of the things that I look at. That, that Those are the things that bother me. It's because, you know what, I don't know X's and O's, and I don't know, you know, what's the best offense to run against this defense, and when they do this, what we should do and what our counter should be, and when we check at the line, what the signal should be. I don't know any of that. But I know that when players are on social media at halftime during a ball game that they're losing, there is a lack of discipline. There is a lack of commitment to Mississippi State. And again, I don't say that to single any particular player out because I believe it is a symptom of a bigger problem. And I think Joe's got to get a handle on that. You can be a player's coach to a fault. And the, the comparisons between Dan Mullen and Joe Moorhead are never-ending, and they never will because Joe's a guy that came in and followed uh, one of the most popular coaches in Mississippi State history, changed our culture here. And a lot of this angst... A negative feeling about Joe is not necessarily about Joe. It's about the fact that we have grown accustomed to winning and we don't want to go back to what we once were. We don't want to be the laughing stock of the SEC. We don't want to have to endure football season. We have grown to enjoy football season. And now here we are, six games into the season that we should be 5-1, and one, despite the warts, despite the fact that we've got some issues. We're still a couple ways away from being 5-1, and one. And, and I say this in basketball all the time because it's true, but it's true in basketball and football and really every sport. Coaching is the difference between winning and losing close ball games. Coaching. Not just game day coaching. What happens in the locker room? What happens in the weight room? What happens in strength and conditioning? Coaching is the difference in close ball games. It's not as simple as drawing up a play. But it is building the belief that we will find a way to win. And on Saturday, when the game was on the line, Jeremy Pruitt, a guy that we passed over, and I still believe rightfully so, had instilled the toughness in his players to go make the play to win the ball game. And they won the game. And that is the most stinging indictment of all, is the guy that we missed, the guy that we passed over, had inspired his team enough to go beat the guy that we endorsed. Now, I can't sit here and tell you it's all going to be okay because I don't know that. I'm not going to give you any code of conduct. But I'm, I'm unbelievably concerned. Especially when we look at the fact that we're, you know, we're going to dip under 500. I, I just don't see any way they beat LSU this weekend. 
the way LSU is scoring. And the uh, I think we're a little bit beaten down right now. And we've got to find something. We've got to find a way to turn this thing around. We're going to be three and four. Then we'll have an opportunity. You know, we'll, we'll go to a college station and we'll see what happens. They're going to be a pretty desperate football team and we go down there too. But I think the reality of this deal is it's going to boil down to us winning three of the last four. I think we're going to have to find a way to beat Arkansas, Abilene Christian, and Ole Miss to get to a bowl game. If we lose the Egg Bowl and have a losing season this year, I, I, I can't tell you what will happen. But it won't be good. It won't be good. You know, I think about some of the times that, uh, you know, we, we, we've been unified, and they've been pretty rare in my lifetime. You know, when we, we have a great baseball team, we get behind them. I remember how miserable that 2018 baseball season was uh, in the beginning. And how frustrating it was to get swept by Southern Miss. And then, you know, we lose to Nickel State. And, you know, we have the embarrassing situation with Andy Canizaro. But many fans stayed in there and supported the Diamond Dogs. And I say many, that's probably being generous. There were few. Most people are ready for baseball season to be over. I think if we could have forfeited the rest of the season and saved ourselves some embarrassment, we probably would have taken it. But something changed. The Hunter Stovalls and Jake Mangums of the world, they bounded together and said, you know what? We're going to turn this thing around. We're going to fight, and we're going to figure this thing out. And then they sweep Arkansas, and you sweep Ole Miss, and we end up in Omaha. One of the greatest runs to Omaha in our history. And it reminded us of how great this thing can be because it wasn't about Dr. Mark Keenum that turned it around. It wasn't about John Cohen that turned it around. It wasn't about even Gary Henderson, for that matter. It was about a group of guys that said, you know what, enough's enough. You know, we're going to go out here and we're going to play. It doesn't matter if anybody else shows up. But that M over S, that logo that we wear on our chest, means something to us. It means something because of who came before us. There is a legacy and a tradition here that we, there's a standard we have to live up to. And those guys, even though many of us had bailed out on them, didn't bail out on us and didn't bail out on Mississippi State. My hope is somebody on his football team will take on that Hunter Stovall role, that Elijah McNamee role. Elijah McNamee became a star after that. Elijah McNamee was just another name in the lineup until that late run in 2018. He was just another guy. But because of that magical run to Omaha, he became one of the most beloved players of this generation. Because of what he helped bring and the memories that he created in our minds because of the fact that he simply wouldn't quit. When the game was on the line, Mac wanted to be at the plate. And I get chills thinking about his finally batter duty noble field. And I thought, you know what? This is a guy who came here pretty un, you know, highly unheralded. Took him probably a year and a half to kind of figure it out. But he's going to walk out of here after hitting one of the biggest home runs in our history. What a fitting moment that was. And so when I think about this other group of seniors, these Bulldog football seniors, the ones that have been a part of something special, the ones that have been a part of something great, it's my hope is they can find that esprit de corps necessary to turn this thing around because it's not going to be about Joe Moorhead. 
It's not. It's not going to be about Bob Shoup. It's not going to be about Dr. Mark Keenum or John Cohen. It's going to be about some young guys saying, you know what, enough's enough. We're going to come together, and we're going to play like we know we're capable of. Because I think right now we're kind of performing underneath our own expectations. Not the expectations you and I put upon them, but our players. We can talk about execution. We can talk about all these other things that are blue in the face. But at some point in life, you got to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? This is it. This is where I make my stand. You come no further. And listen, it's, it's going to be tough the next couple of weeks. It is. The message boards and social media is all going to be rough. It's not going to be for the faint of heart. There's going to be a lot of people, and listen, you know, fair or unfair, there are a lot of people that were anti-Jew Moorhead before he even got here. There are even more people that jumped off the Jim Moorhead bandwagon after he lost to Florida and then lost to Dan Mullen because people felt that was simply unforgivable. It's absolutely unforgivable. And there are some people that still haven't gotten over that. And then they see Dan Mullen play it on primetime Saturday night in a game that really matters on a national stage. And then here we are losing an 11 a.m. game on the road to Tennessee against a team that had only beaten an FCS team. It's, it was a microcosm of where we are and where we used to be. Then Joe found some favor with people but rallying down the stretch and beating Arkansas the way that he did then going up to Oxford and, and beating Ole Miss and, and then having the, the exchange there in the postgame. He was no longer the new hire. He became our coach. But a lot of that good favor that, that Joe Moore had built after that has been lost. It's been lost. We've got a couple of really bad losses, a bad loss at home to Kansas State, a bad loss on the road to a bad Tennessee team. I don't have the answer to that, Joe. You're going to have to find it. And it's going to be in the locker room. We can sit out here and talk to we're blue in the face, and we can tweet about it, and we can talk about it on Facebook, and we can argue among ourselves and try to convince each other that I'm, you know, I'm a bigger fan than you and I'm smarter than you, and none of that accomplishes anything. All it does is make people mad. But you just got to go win football games. You just got to go win football games because it doesn't take long. The Wolves are always at the door. That's how life is. When you're a public figure and when people are emotionally invested in, in the job that you do, the Wolf is always at the door. And you slip up and you lose a ball game you shouldn't and all of a sudden they come in packs. And the only way to beat them back is to win ball games. That's it. That's the only way to keep the Wolf at bay. And so my hope is that we can find a way to turn this thing around. I can't promise you it's all going to be okay. I know we've been through worse times than this. I remember 2016, how ready I was for the season to be over, and we found a way. We found a way late. We won an egg bowl, and we actually slipped in the back door and went and won a bowl game. The lowest point, I think, in the Dan Mullen era, really. It's a very, very difficult. I remember that, that A&M team came in here riding high as the number four team in the playoff poll, and we beat them pretty good. Crazy things can happen. But I don't know if we need to throw the playbook out. I don't know if we need to take the day off of practice and, and go play ping pong or whatever. But something has to change. Something has to change or we start having fun again. Something has to change or we get to go play football again. And listen, there's, there's been a cloud of negativity over the season from the very beginning because of all this Tudorgate stuff. And to be fair to Joe Moorhead... That's a very difficult situation he's had to, to kind of 
you know, navigate through. And then on top of it, the guy that he brings in to be his quarterback gets injured against Southern Miss on a play that was essentially, you know, of no consequence. And so when you add those things together, yeah, it's unfair. But life is unfair. Nobody's going to feel sorry for Mississippi State. Nobody. There's nobody in this league that's going to say, you know what, let's throw those, get those boys a ball and it's been a tough year. It's a very unforgiving league. We've been on both ends of it. You don't think we gave uh, Arkansas? We, we decided not to throw them a ball last year because it had been a rough year for them? Nah. Nah, trust me. When they get ready to play us up there, they're going to put that game on too and be reminded that we beat them 52-6 to last year. I look forward to being with you guys this week. We'll have the uh, Facebook Live show tonight at 8 on the Bulldogs 247 Facebook page. You can find that. Have a good time. Come out and visit. We'll talk about what we learned today from Joe Moorhead. Look forward to being back with you guys on Wednesday as we kind of preview the weekend that she'll be. We'll look ahead and find out what the offensive and defensive players have had to say. We'll have the Facebook Live show again on Thursday. And then uh, Friday we'll preview the weekend and we'll see you guys at 2.30 on Saturday. And for you book lovers, I'll let you know that the, uh, the the printer is going to be finished with Stark Villains on the 18th. That's four days from now. They'll ship the books, and then they'll be shipping them to you. So all of that is uh, is uh, we're in the final days. Well, uh, looking forward for you guys having that book. Very, very excited to have it. If you haven't pre-ordered, you can still do so, and you can continue to order the book at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. By pre-ordering, you can get a signed, customized copy and guarantee you get that. We're already booking uh, book signings. We're going to have some uh, as early as this month. Got one coming up in Tupelo and one in Starkville. As those are finalized, I'll give you the details. Looking forward to shaking hands and uh, and talking sports with you guys. And, uh, you know, great stories of, of a better time. You know, simple as that. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in a way we live this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call click or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done.